I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode number 206 for November 24th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about Lee Nielsen versus Veritas, loose tenons and bed rails, refurbish or buy new, and what we're thankful for because it's sort of our Thanksgiving episode, sort of. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. First up, we've got our good friends over at ArborTech. The new ArborTech Contour Random Sander is a woodworker's dream come true. Get perfectly smooth surfaces with the tool's powerful random sanding action. It doesn't burn or dig in at the edges and fits into any standard angle grinder. Whoops, almost had this perfect. Uh, Watch the tool in action. It's uh, available at ArborTechUSA.com. Some tools stand apart the most when they are color-coordinated. I mean, working together. (laughs) I agree. Explore a full system designed to deliver more precise results at FestoolUSA.com. That's right. And and I'll tell by you what, Tom, ahead, by Tom Turkey, ahead. who suggests that cows is probably a better alternative for Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know, the, the great thing, I, I have to agree, color coordination is kind of a big deal for me. It's really <laughs> weird, and it does rank pretty highly on uh, my, my tool choice. And I was going to say, I already know your answer to the Lee Nielsen versus Veritas. It's whatever matches what I already have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, well, actually, I have one exception to that. Uh, I just got this just in, folks. I just got an important note from my assistant, also known as my wife. She says that we are giving a random contour sander away at the Wood Whisperer site this month. So if you go to, uh, yeah, right, the woodwhisperer.com slash giveaway, you can get the details for that and check out what ArborTech has to offer. And then you two can have a hard time selecting whether you want to go with Ronaldo, Raul, or Jorge Sandpaper. (laughs) Aren't those like the names of the Festool Sandpapers? Have you guys yes. heard some of those Ruben. names? <laughs> <laughs> like Rubicon, Rubio. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with their naming convention there. But anyway, so we'd also like to thank Stephen uh, Daneman, who uh, sent us a few bucks. We always appreciate that. 
And there's a doorbell in the background, which everyone should just ignore. Nothing to say. Does that mean here. we have a special guest? <laughs> it could be. Hold on. <laughs> Quick, bring him on. Mail person, would you like to be on the show? Uh, yeah, so Stephen Daneman, thank you so much. If you want to help us out financially, uh, we always appreciate it. At woodtalkshow.com, look in that left-hand column, and you'll see some great links uh, for just small recurring donation amounts or a single donation, single one-time donation if you want to do that. And enough about that. Let's get into what's on the bench. This is the meat the meat of the sandwich at this point. Uh, nice. As long as it's not leftovers this early on, we're good. You know, do you guys ever do a practice Thanksgiving or is that just my family? Um, I like that your family does it, but I think my family <laughs> would kill themselves if they did it. It's, you know, yeah. Thanksgiving dinner is too good to only do once a year. So usually about a, a month or two, month and a half before the actual Thanksgiving holiday, Nicole will do a very simple version of Thanksgiving and have the whole family over and everything. It's really nice and it's good practice. Um, and it's it's good food. So do you guys time each other for like certain things? Is that what it's like? Just a total like run? Like you know, Mark, you got to get the table set and go <laughs> something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So speaking of cooking, I've been working on the kitchen helper, which is that little uh, that little toddler stand step stool thing for kids to get to countertop height and be able to participate in all the fun and activities in the kitchen. So that is nearly done. Very quick build on that one. It's just a couple of days into it. So all knockdown joinery uh, assisted by the domino. Uh, for something like that, if you're doing a, a knockdown and, and using threaded inserts and bolts, something like the domino is fantastic for that because it's like really easy to register in the right location and you know it's point and shoot and you put a couple of dominoes, only glue them in to, to one of the components, keep them dry on the other. So the dominoes give you like perfect alignment and then the bolts just pull everything together and cinch it together so had a lot of fun using that I, I, there's just times where i'm like yeah the domino is definitely one of the best things that happened to woodworking since um since the handle school frankly Ooh. it makes you wonder i appreciate that <laughs> it, it makes you wonder like what ikea furniture would look like if they just added something like that yeah i mean the the bed that i just finished that's i mean i didn't use dominoes they're integral tenons but it's the same thing they're just little kind of stub tenons and it's a bed bolt that mm-hmm. holds it tight, but it is so unbelievably rock solid. Yeah. And it just makes you think, cause like <clears throat> the chair I'm sitting in right now, very nice chair picked out by my wife, but it's from Ikea. It looks nice. It's all good and everything. Mm-hmm. But the thing has started to wiggle like three months later. <laughs> yeah. Now granted there's, there's Allen keys that you can tighten it up. But the annoying thing is, is you have to pull this slip cover off of it in order to tighten it up. And it's like, if they just had like a single domino in one of those joints, it would be a totally different chair. Yeah, I mean, they're really doing the same amount of work that they do with that. They, like if they had glue and it was a finished joint, they're doing the right. same amount of work. And it's just this bolt is there to act as the the pressure holding it together. So it's super sturdy uh, and a great application. I actually just put together, you know, because sometimes you do have to buy furniture for certain situations, I'll confess. And I bought a little like... It's like a little storage cabinet from Target, and I was putting that together. And, and they do a similar thing with those uh, little twisty bolts that pull everything together, and there are dowels in there. The problem is the dowels are in a hole that's about a full 16th oversized, you know, so they're just kind of like wobbling around. They almost serve no purpose whatsoever. Uh, and the same thing had occurred to me, like if there was a nice, you know, two or three dominoes or at least a tight fitting dowel joint, that would be that would make the whole thing so much stronger. Uh, but yeah, very cool way to make knockdown knockdown furniture. Enjoyed it. Um, the other thing is now you guys may you may have to start addressing me a little bit differently. Maybe give me a little bit more respect because I'm kind <laughs> yeah, of good luck with that. I'm, Keep telling yourself we're gonna do that. <laughs> let, let me give you the reason why. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of famous now because 
I was on Rough Cut. Um, no, you're still always going to be marked to me. Uh, always. Sorry. I was hoping see, for something better than that, but we don't we don't get that here. So <laughs> it really means nothing. Didn't me. see it. Didn't happen. Uh, Unless you have many leather bound <laughs> volumes and rooms with rich mahogany, I'm not interested. <laughs> I only have one room with rich mahogany, and that's my shop. Uh, yeah, I was actually, uh, I talked about this before. I had the good fortune of guesting on the rough cut show and I guess the episode aired in some markets. It's how PBS works. Nothing is consistent. It just depends on what market you're in. Uh, ironically, the Boston market hasn't carried it yet. So that's kind of weird, right? You'd think if anybody's going to get it right, WGBH in Boston would have the early release of it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That does seem like they would be the ones that would be early on with it. Like, you know, Hey, we got a sneak peek. Oh really? Well, the rest of the day. Asians already seen it. Yeah, exactly. So if you uh, look at your local PBS station, maybe, I don't know, you might be able to catch the episode. We're building a little uh, hallway entryway sort of uh, storage hallway tree thing. It's it's definitely something that looks like something I would build. I didn't design it. Eli actually designed it, but um, it was it was a blast going there and having that experience. So I can't wait to see how it turned out. Me in that environment is a little bit weird um wearing wearing like a button-up t-shirt <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> right. with a collar of like what is this i feel like i'm in a costume um <laughs> yeah so folks who who get the chance to see it you'll have to let me know how bad it was uh was but, the, the makeup lady trying to hide the five o'clock shadow like we just put more foundation <laughs> <laughs> like lady you don't have enough uh you don't have enough cake batter to <laughs> it's called paint <laughs> like that's that stuff is there. It will poke through anything you put on my face. Um, well, but yeah, it was, she was she was actually really nice. She was one of my favorite things about the the experience. <laughs> she was very cool, the makeup lady. Uh, but yeah, if you get to see it, let me know what you think. It was definitely my first time. Uh, although I am in front of a camera all the time, there's usually not like 10 people around me while I'm doing this stuff. So it was a very different experience for me. But I had a lot of fun and uh, hopefully everyone will enjoy the episode. Well, I, I have to say that while I will probably not show you any higher level of respect during the show, uh, when the TV show comes on, I will be going, I know that guy. We're, we're like friends. I call him a friend. He always hangs up on me, though. <laughs> right. Seriously, maybe maybe this can get us a higher level of respect, Matt. You know, Ooh. just just because, you know, we can call Mark a friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm friends <laughs> with that guy. Yeah. Really? I, wow. I knew him when. It's I, it, Well, it's so weird. The, the woodworking world has... I guess the whole new media, and this happens in all types of areas, right? Where things just seem smaller than they used to be. How many times do you guys open up a magazine and you're reading the emails or the the like newsletter or the the letter section? What's the word for that? Anyway, oh, um, the uh, letter to the editor. Something where Shannon Rogers actually had one in the most recent issue of uh, Popular Seriously, I, mean, I, I had no. It. Are they supposed to let you know that they publish those things? Because literally, that was an email to Chuck's personal. Uh, email account <laughs> everything and, and, is and fodder <laughs> chuck chuck actually emailed me or tweeted me or whatever he's like what question did they do and i was like i didn't know anything about it either i had to reread it and i looked at it i was like you remember that email i sent you to your personal account it's like yeah they must have like gone through my personal email account after i left oh that's funny well <laughs> so anyway you, you look at those sections now how many times do you see names in there that you know and right. oh, there was yeah. a, a large part of my, my woodworking experience and uh, reading magazines where I'd look at that and I wouldn't recognize anybody's names. But now the, the reader's gallery of fine woodworking, the questions sections, uh, and now even the authors. So having something like this where you've got a TV show now with a guy who started in the same environment we play in um, that we can actually like, – can you imagine one of us just going and hanging out in Norm's shop for a show? <laughs> like it, it was different back then. You know, that kind of thing just wouldn't happen. 
Um, but I think it's really cool. I think the, the woodworking world is, is much smaller than we think it is. It's starting to become as friendly on TV as it really is in the communities. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Except we're if there. I were to make an appearance, then they'd be like, I'm canceling my uh, subscription right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody loves Matt. Uh, so that's, uh, that's it for me. What do you got going on, Matt? Well, really not a lot. Once again, following on our earlier theme of don't do any woodworking at all. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much where I've been. Actually, I've, I've been working on a few things. And as we were kind of talking about before we went on air, uh, the snow receded here in West Michigan just in time to show all of my leaves that I failed to get out of my yard. And all my neighbors stood there in a one long line staring at me with thumbing their noses and and like just staring at me like with that really intent look on like get off your butt and get out here and clean this up. So that's what I did most of the week when weekend as I took care of the yard work. But prior to that, I was playing around with having the basement workshop. I don't have a lot of floor space. So I'm very particular on where I place things. And one of the things that I have off to the side up against the wall is my workbench. And I wrote a post not too long ago talking about the fact that for a little project I was working on, I pulled the workbench away from the wall and I just suddenly discovered that having that almost 360 degree access all the way around it was pretty insane. It was mm-hmm. awesome. I could do all sorts of things and work on different angles and not like have to sit there for like five minutes trying to figure out how I'm going to twist the item to fix the one side. So now I'm really wrestling with how much of that floor space I want to give up so that I can have Maybe not a full 360 workbench, you know, access around it, but maybe at least have like almost like a peninsula where I have access to at least three sides, maybe one end and two sides or something. I, I can't decide, but after being spoiled just for those couple of days, I'm like, you know what? Floor space, more space. I need this access. <laughs> well, you've got to have at least enough room to practice your pommel horse routines. Yes. You know? Yeah, I'm glad Absolutely. you said that. Although that also means I need to pull it out <laughs> from underneath the air ducts because while I am short, I've been known to get enough height. Gets a lot of air when he's practicing. Yeah, and don't forget the dismount space. That's important. Oh, don't even get me started. I, in that you case, don't want I to dismount into the saw stop. <laughs> right. well, Shannon, you, do you still have your bench in the middle of the room? Yeah. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and I've, I've got mine away just because it, it's just a convenient place to film from. So I kind of stand on the non-working end to do all my you know camera-facing stuff. Um, so just because of the show, I've done that. But yeah, it's, it's great being able to move around all sides of the bench. Yeah, I mean, and it's so funny because for the longest time, you know, I, I thought, well, just having it up there, I mean, I only really need the front side where I have the voice and everything. And I will admit my workbench is woefully uh, underweight. So therefore, when I am doing any planning, uh, it still likes to move on me. That and the fact that the floor sometimes feels like ice. I don't know what's up with that. I need to get down some sandpaper and maybe scruff it up or something. Hmm. Uh, but that was always like a big thing was having it against the wall. It helped me with, with the planing action. But even now, I'm like, you know what? I got to throw some sandbags on it. Just weight the thing down. And it is, it's amazing once you have that experience where you can work so easily around it. It's like... Oh, man, have I been that selfish about my floor space that I want all of it? <laughs> <laughs> it also tempts you to put, at least for me, to put like some other secondary tertiary vices on it to make mm-hmm. the other sides workable. <laughs> like, well, why not? Like my, my sliding leg vice spends most of the time on the other side of the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the same side as the leg vice now because I was um, planing up a wide panel, but most of the time it's over on the other side. I, I don't think I could go back. To, to having it up against a wall, even like like Matt was saying, a peninsula where just the short edge is up against the wall because now I've gotten used to, you know, I put my shooting board on the, 
on that narrow end and I set up when I use the miter box, I set it up on that side. There's times when I've got like two and three bench hooks on the, the bench all at once. It's, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Um, yeah. It's so much more functional, I think, having well, full and I access. think that's for, for somebody who uses hand planes, it'd be really nice because right now, oftentimes I will be, I'll, I'll be planing on one side and then I've got to turn and try to figure out how to do it going in like in the opposite direction <laughs> or something. And by being able to get that other side of the bench, I, maybe I could actually now work both sides without having to move the thing around too much. I don't know. There's so many possibilities of this. So I'm still going to keep on playing with it. Of course, as people will point out, I've got all of that beautiful maple sitting there because I said I was going to build a bench. I still am. Uh, I still have till 2018, people. So that's only four <laughs> years away. I think I can. I, I might be able to accomplish it by then, and that may also uh, take care of the, the whole weight issue with it. But that's that's the big thing for me. It's maybe actually that's what I've been doing more than anything else. Just sitting down there and just playing around, rather than making those little cutouts for my my floor space. I've been doing the full size thing. Like if I move this over here, my family's like, "What is that noise? What are you scraping down there?" <laughs> <laughs> Matt's playing Workshop Tetris again. <laughs> that's exactly it. So, anyways, that's what I've been doing. How about you? Shannon, what do you got going on? Uh, cleaning up screw ups. <laughs> I um, I went and bought some um, I don't know what they call it, like a, a, a metal specific epoxy paint that that's meant to adhere permanently to um, metal surfaces to do the the pedals and some of the the undercarriage parts of this barn's lathe. I got them all cleaned up, and I was going to repaint them. They're originally whatever that stuff is called japanning or it's not japanning but the same type of paint that you find on hand planes it used to all be black and it's kind of worn off and so i figured i would repaint it well i did that it finally got warm enough yesterday that i could open the garage door and not gas out the house by you know (laughs) aerosol and a closed garage and it was you know 20 some degrees so it was a little difficult to do that even with the door closed so I, I did all that, and then I went back to um, prepping some boards for uh, a project I've got coming up on my free site, and just not even not even thinking about it. And you know, everyone's like, "Oh, well, hand tools—they don't produce dust." No, that's a lie, <laughs> because if you want to come look at the coat of paint that I put on the pedals of my barns lathe, I can show you how much dust is produced <laughs> when you're milling a board. It was just one of those boneheaded moments where it was like. Yes, it was over on the other end of the shop and, you know, opposite end of the shop from where I was planing. But, you know, it's a reminder that dust gets in the air. So I have, um, I guess it's it's a, what's a speckle paint finish is what I was going for because it's speckled with cherry. It's just going to be lovely. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I mean, I'll probably, frankly, just end up recoding the whole thing, <laughs> paint the, the cherry speckles <laughs> black again. <laughs> Because it is black. I mean, no one's ever going to see it. It adds a little bit of grip to the pedals now. But That's interesting. Yeah. Why, why hasn't anybody tried that as like a, a new age sort of faux finish with dust, wood dust sprinkles? It kind of, you think it would add value or something to a paint finish. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I, when I revisit some of the first projects that I ever built, I think I already was doing that. <laughs> right. We're all doing it and not realizing it. <laughs> that, that nice sandpapery finish of that, that decorative box that I built. Right. Wait, wait, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to have? I, I like to think of it as like a safety f- surface. Yeah, you know, 
keeps you from like knocking it off the table because it's got that extra grip built in. See, the, yeah. the, this occurred to me as I was making the platform for the kitchen helper thinking, all right, well, if I put on, I try to do my normal finish, I'm always going for like glass smooth. I'm like, well, maybe this is the one surface that probably should not be glass smooth. <laughs> the one that my, my son will be standing on with, with socks on, <laughs> like, right. you know, so maybe a little bit of grit, a little cherry dust from Shannon shop might do the trick. You know, I hate to say it, and uh, my family really hates that this happened too, but I built my mom. My mom's short like me. In fact, she's shorter than me, and she uh, needed a little help getting up into her bed, so I built her a stool. And that was when I was really like, hey, I'm going to make a really glass smooth surface also. And uh, buff this out. <laughs> uh, shortly after, I gave it to her, and then the call from the ER about my mom slipping and falling, I'm like, oh, oh was she getting no. on a stool? <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah, so thankfully she was okay, but at the same time, it was definitely one of those things where, note to self, uh, texture's good. Yeah, well, for functional things that you're building, especially for family members in the house, you got to keep that in mind. It's like, yeah, it's a nice finish, but ultimately, if it's slippery, that's probably not a great thing. And I would like to point out that was before I started the show, so nobody ever saw that one, mm. and uh, it's amazing you get that textured uh, tape. And that works fantastic. Makes <laughs> right. it look ugly, but... <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move into what's new. Only got one thing here. So, Matt, you want to take that one? All right. This comes in from Hunter Locke, and he says, I made a joking remark today to my turning buddy, whatever that is, about freehand turning and how scary it is. As fate would have it, I came upon this video of a guy making a wooden doll by turning freehand. Have you seen this yet? Now, I happen to put this up on my website also. I think I posted it on Facebook. It's from an article at mentalfloss.com, and it's the... Kakoshi Dolls. Uh, it's a traditional Japanese doll. Uh, it was a, it's a really fun video to watch. Kind of neat. If you do notice, it's not actually freehand turning. He does have a little bit of a like an armrest that he kind of leans his arm on, but it still looks like the tool is just out there in space making uh, the cuts. And, and Hunter actually pointed that out in a follow-up email. But it's a fun little uh, video to watch and just really, really neat seeing how this whole thing comes together. Cool. It's Sounds funny because I had actually dropped this into the show notes because <clears throat> I came across it on Vimeo. Um, actually, um, Sean Graham of the Worthy Effort School down in Texas posted it on Facebook and I watched it because Sean's a big turner and he said there's some turning techniques in here I've never seen before. I debate whether or not it's really freehand turning because <clears throat> to me it looks a lot more like um, using a hook tool on a pole lathe. Mm-hmm. where that the thing that you said he's resting his arms on, I believe the neck of the tool is up there as well. But what's weird about it, and this is for people who've never used a hook tool on a pole lathe, they rebel because he's turning below center. And in a lot of respects, the 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 hook, the, the tools he's using is is presented in a trailing action. And it's a very, very different way of, of turning. But it is still the whole thing is is very cool and and very new, but I was really drawn to it because I started thinking of how um, I might do spindle turning that way on my pole lathe using a hook tool. So it was it's it's one of those cool. Again, I found it on Vimeo, but one of those cool high quality right. Vimeo type videos that it's just kind of mesmerizing to watch. It is. It definitely was a lot of fun to watch. I was hoping you were going to say that you were going to start making bobbleheads of the Wood Talk crew. That was where oh. you were going with that. Ooh, I'd like one of those or a set. Yeah. I'd I'll, like the maybe whole I'll set. commission Mary May to carve some heads. Oh, that'd be oh. awesome. Oh. You know what's funny too with something like this? I just think it's interesting as an aside is when we start to see uh, woodworking videos, as long as they're pretty enough or they've got some kind of a hook to them, when you see them in a, a mainstream arena like this and suddenly 
people are watching a woodworking video that normally we would just be talking about. But meanwhile, it's been shared on a couple of these, you know, clickbait sites and it's got millions and millions of views. Um, I find that interesting in, in today's online um, interactions, how that can happen. You know, well, still, in, uh, in the commentary and how like awe inspired the commentary is, right. You know, and then here we are like, well, I've never seen this. You know, we're expecting somebody to say well, that's unsafe because he's freehand turning and you don't see that surprisingly. It's all these people like, wow, what incredible respect I have for you. And just have to remind ourselves that what we do is foreign and fascinating to normal people. <laughs> well, actually, you know, you know who doesn't find it inspiring? I showed it to my wife and she looked at me and said, really? You just wasted my time. Well, see, here's the difference. <laughs> Wives of woodworkers and husbands of woodworkers have probably have a very different perspective of it. They're kind of over it, I think. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> you know, it's no longer mesmerizing or a fascinating topic for them. <laughs> yes, there are moments when they're like, you know what would be really good with that wood? Fire. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make a fire and burn some marshmallows. All right, let's move into our poll of the week. I don't have a new one to announce because I was lazy today and was in the shop and didn't get a chance to publish it, but there will be one on the website if you want to go check it out. And last week's poll was about making holiday gifts this year. Are you making stuff for people for the holidays? And uh, I got quite a few replies. Where are my results? Oh, there they are. 57% had to add a couple of the answers together. Uh, 57% are doing one or more this year. 6% said absolutely not, and 5% said it's the holiday season, right. question mark. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it looks like a large majority of people are actually getting out there and uh, building stuff to give to people that they're going to feel obligated to appreciate and say thank you for. That's awesome. I One year, <laughs> I plan on doing something like that. I'm going to play the part of the gift giver rather than the, have you seen my wish list over at Lee Valley? <laughs> Amazon wish list, baby. Yeah, that's that where my too. family gets their ideas from. All right, let's move into kickback. Got a couple things to share with you, Matt. Why don't you kick off the kickback? I will do that. I will get kickstarted right now. You do it. All right. So this first one comes from Glenn, and Glenn says, remember a few months ago where you guys were talking about that crazy Finnish axe? Well, Wrangle Star has done a review of it with a comparison of a tradition to comparison to a traditional mall. Uh, from the review, looks like Shannon's opinion wins. Oh, Glenn, you went what? and ruined it. What? Oh, I don't believe that. This is all crap. I have to listen to that all the rest of the episode. I was right. I was right. <laughs> so anyways, he goes on to say, oh, yeah, watch at the 930-ish mark. There's a tooth removal and lip alteration by Axe. Grossest selfie ever. Okay, well, you just made up for yourself by putting that one in there because that is that anytime bloodshed and tools were there. I didn't really. watch this. Did you guys watch this yet? Watched it yet. It. <laughs> no, I haven't. No. I've watched a lot of his stuff before. Cool stuff. So it's just like... Just word to the wise, you can email us links. They'll make it into the show. We'll share it with our entire <laughs> audience of, of 30,000 downloads and not have verified what we're actually sharing. So just actually, be forewarned. See, what, what, what freaked me out was not so much that Shannon's opinion won, but the, the grossest selfie thing ever. I have a queasy tummy. <laughs> like I, I, I kind of had the same reaction. I'm like, okay, I get what this is about. I don't really want to see something that's described that way right now, so I'll skip it. And I figured one of you guys would go watch it. All right, well, let us let us know what you think when you go see it. Um, we're very interested. Uh, that, that's where things break down is we all assume that everyone else will go watch it. <laughs> Too much assumption. All right, well, it's before, not my week to have to watch an episode. <laughs> I will verify before I, I publish that post. All right, so we got the next one here from Daryl. He says, I during this. You did watch this one? Okay, I did good. watch this. During your last podcast, Mark wondered if a strobing light 
could be useful on the lathe. I believe it can be, and have built a circuit that blinks a strip of LED lights in synchronization with the lathe speed. Here's a not-so-great video, but I think it shows the function well enough. And, of course, we'll have the, the video embedded in the show notes. The light is brighter than it shows up in the video, enough to turn safely. I use it for live-edge bowl turnings, where the cutting action is less than a full circle of revolution. Uh, this, this way I can see precisely where the tool is entering the bark edge of the wood. No more guesswork cutting into a a fuzzy blur. Uh, I can get thin edges with confidence this way. Technically, this could even work on Shannon's human-powered lathes, but somehow that just seems wrong. Uh, Let me know what you think. So he made this quick video showing how the strobe light works. There's uh, basically a square turning blank on there that hasn't been cut into yet, and he has uh, writing on it. So obviously, normally, when you spin that thing up, you can't read the letters. It's just going too fast. But with a strobe light on it, you can actually very clearly make out the letters, and a thing looks like you, you see the extremities of it. So when you're trying to you know do that that rough turning of a square uh, blank like that, usually it's it's rough going as you approach that that edge and start to to get into the round. Uh, this allows you to see exactly where that edge is, so you can approach it with a little bit more caution as you go into it. Um, so I mean, you know, for experienced turners, I don't think that that's that's a huge deal. But for what he's talking about, uh, where you're dealing with possible bark inclusions and doing a live edge turning like that, seems like there could be some pretty cool applications. Um, hmm. do, did you get the impression that he, he's been doing this with the strobe or he just did this? Sounds like he's been doing it from, I from was his say, It seems like it's something he did a while ago. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, neat idea. I'm glad to see uh, someone actually gave us an example. He made a nice little video to show how well it works. If anyone else tries this, let us know if it's uh, you know a practical application that you might use in your own shop. Heck yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, we're going to do a little special today, just a little diversion for Thanksgiving. We're going to talk a little bit about things that we're thankful for in the shop. And we tried to go with things that may not be the go-to things. I think if you listen to the show long enough, you probably know that the things that the three of us appreciate in our shop. So um, we tried to go a l- like a little bit off the, the beaten path and try to, to give you an idea and justify something very cool that we enjoy and maybe something that's a little underappreciated in, uh, in most conversations. Um, so Shannon, why don't you kick it off? What are you thankful for? I, I, I struggle with this because we, we talked about this a little off air. There are so many things that, you know, I can't live without, and they just feel like we've said it thousands of times. And then it suddenly occurred to me, there is a tool that I never really paid much attention to, but I had for a long time. It's an old wooden rabbit plane. It's a skew rabbit plane. You you can find them by, you know, the gross on eBay and in uh, antique stores and things like that. And I had a couple of them. They were on the shelf and I kept meaning to fix them up and restore them. Well, I finally did a couple of years ago. And now I have a, a particular, and this is like choosing a, you know, a, a favorite son or daughter choosing the size, but I would say probably my one inch skewed rabbit plane. That thing, it's kind of like, it's almost as versatile as just a plain old chisel. Um, hmm. But it, it's a little bit easier in some instances because it's held at a fixed angle. But you think of, you know, any rabbit plane where the blade runs all the way to the edge of of the body. So it can get into inside corners, but because it's a skewed aspect, it works across the grain real well. I find this even better than like some of the more modern day block planes with skewed edges. The the taller kind of center of gravity of this old wooden plane, I find actually it's easier to use. It's easier to get plum cuts and things with it. I use it for knocking uh, sharp edges off of um 
off of boards and because of the skewed blade, I can knock the edge all the way around, say a tabletop, so I can go across the grain with the grain, whatever. Um, it's just, it's one of those tools now that, that I have it. And now that it's tuned up, it is always on my bench. It's never far from, from my hand, from trimming tenon cheeks to actually cutting rabbits, go figure. Um, it's just, it's a cool plane. And it's one of those things that I think has been, a lot of people think has been replaced by things like, um, uh, not plow planes, but like the, the Veritas rabbit plane with a fence or a moving philister plane with a fence or uh, a shoulder plane. And it's just not true. This is a different, different beast than a fenced plane or uh, a shoulder plane. And it's a lot more versatile. And the fact that there is no fence makes it that much more versatile. Hmm. So, uh, and the cool thing is you can get them anywhere. And they, they usually are not expensive and they're stupid simple to true up. It's just a block of wood with a wedge and a blade. It's very cool. Nice. That's a good one. All right. Thanks. For me, mine is, um, well, it may seem obvious to some people, and this is just my limited observation of, of our woodworking world that we play in, uh, the table saw. Now, I think a couple of years ago, maybe five to ten years ago, the table saw might have been a lot of people's uh, initial, like, my favorite tool in the shop. But it, it feels like, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we might all be under the same false impression, too, just because of where we hang out. But it seems like the table saw has really fallen out of favor. Um, and if there is a table saw that gets any love, it's saw stop. And the rest of them don't because they don't have that feature. And because uh, there's some really horrific accidents that have happened <laughs> at the table saw uh, from improper use that that wind up giving it a really bad reputation. Um, so I, it's interesting to watch how, how this kind of thing happens amongst the hobbyist online environment um, as certain tools can sometimes become villainized <laughs> to an extent. And I think the table saw is one that's really fallen out of favor. And um, so for me, as you know, walking through the shop in preparation for this, looking around going, you know what, I would be lost without that tool. Like I know I can do certain things with other tools to compensate for it. And we get emails all the time asking, look, if I want to get rid of my table saw, uh, what can I do to make sure I don't regret that? And what other tools can I use in place of it? And uh, frankly, I'd be lost without it. It's going to be a long time before I wind up having to to get, actually get rid of that. I just don't see a need for it. Maybe maybe when I'm like years down the line and I just want to get rid of all my power tools or something, that might be uh, the time that I do it. But it's just so damn useful. There are so many things I can do with it from, from milling my stock, cutting it down to size, to all of the different joinery that you can do and jigs you could build and fixtures you could build. Um, it still is the workhorse for my shop and probably for a lot of people's shop. Um, so I, I think the table saw is, I think like the pendulum has swung the other way and I want it to come back a little bit more toward the middle. I think the table saw needs more love. Right. I, I agree 100% with you. I mean, the table saw definitely is a workhorse in my own shop also. Sometimes I wonder if there's this perception and maybe this is why the table saws had like this weird, I don't know, image problem or something. It's like somehow in order to have a table saw, you have to have a big honking cabinet saw. Yeah. Nothing else will work. And so therefore, it's almost like if anybody suggests, I'm going to get me a little contractor style one or I'm going to get me a little job site one. Suddenly everybody's like, oh. Oh, you're that person. <laughs> I think the world would be a safer place if everybody had big cabinet saws, frankly. 
so, yeah. some of those little job site saws with the unreliable fences and things like that, those make me a little more nervous, especially new woodworkers tend to get those because they're less expensive and it's a better way to enter into the craft in a like more reasonable way. But they're some of the you know least reliable table saws out there. Um, mm. especially in the hands of someone who's, who's new to it. So, yeah. which, you know, that's, that's an interesting point because I mean, obviously I got rid of my table saw, but I had a little contractor one. Mm. Um, it's not a bad contractor one. I think it was like 700 bucks when it was new. So it's, I, you know, I put some money into it, but my biggest issue was it just took up so much space and I just didn't have it to, to use. So sure. first of all, it was difficult to kind of get it set up and get it running. And then even once I was set up, I was limited in, in, in feed and out feed. And I really don't think I was using it as well as I could have used it. And then there were some things that were a little bit, you don't want to say unsafe, but you know, the, the, the safety elements and the precision and things like that, that come with a big cabinet saw. Um, and I just wonder, you know, would, where would I be? Had I had the space and had I had a cabinet saw, you would have wrote I, a book day, called. Uh, you would have wrote a book called Hybrid Woodworking. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> and then you would have sued me for. Uh... <laughs> so it would it would have been uh, the the hand tool shop and the table saw, like you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I, I think just that, that that cabinet saw. Not to not to keep carrying this out too much. I, there is something about the the accuracy from it, like pretty much right away and how easy it is to adjust things. I mean, it's one of those things where if I had to give up all of my tools, uh, but I could keep the table saw, I probably, I probably would do it just because of the fact that that cabinet saw that I have right now just is so well tuned. And it's not because I tuned it. It's just because of the way that it's manufactured. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's something to that as well. And those cheaper table saws are not well tuned. And I remember I, I did a lot of work on my Delta to get it, you know, square. So the runout wasn't bad. The fence was lined up properly. You know, I added a whole bunch of stuff to it. Um, and then it finally was working. So I, I do think there's a lot to that. Sure. Yeah. And it's not to say that we, sh- you know, we want to poop all over cheap table saws. Bottom line is the less expensive saws do take a little bit more babysitting and a little bit more awareness of when your setup is, you know, out of calibration, creating some sort of a extra risk for you. You do have to babysit a little bit more. Right. So in a nutshell, uh, you have certain uh, expectations and don't be surprised if they're not met. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, Matt, how about you? The big one for me, I really was, I went back and forth on this one. Uh, it's, it's my Moxon voice. Uh, the, the one I have, of course, I have the, the bench crafted uh, hardware on it, but I think regardless of what hardware you have on it, there really is something about that Moxon vice. I remember at first when it came out, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really something. But then once I started using it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really something. That's just, <laughs> it, it's really neat because the thing is, of course, I, I'm short, so therefore uh, the bench really is not, like, I'm not stooped over it. I'm not going to get a sore back from doing things. But there are plenty of tasks that I do on, on projects, I don't realize how often I do these where it's just nice to have that piece, that, that component more up right where I need my action, like where I can get a, a look at it, a different angle, where I know if it was lower on the workbench, say if it was in my leg vice or however else I have it uh, connect or uh, held in place on the workbench, I probably might almost be like, well, not paying as close attention to the detail, maybe the way I run the saw through it or something. But just it, it just works really great. I love having that up there. And it's one of those things that I know, I think, when, I don't know, maybe it was the few people that I ran into that when the whole Mox and Vice thing was first really, really popular because it had that big kick there for a while, that there was almost kind of like that, 
you don't need that. You don't need that thing at all. That's just another excuse to have to buy something. And it's like, you know what? Again, mm-hmm. I, I love this thing. I love it to death. Well, look, look, say bring it into your shop and then tell me later what you think. Okay, right. here's the thing. I'm, I'm hoping you can help me with this then because I fell victim. I say victim. I fell for it. No, that's wrong too. Um, <laughs> I bought I into. Was snookered. I was. I bought one. Let's put it that way. And I've yet to build the the like components and do the installation. So I don't yet have one on my bench. And part of the problem is I haven't seen a driving need where I go, oh boy, if I just had that Mox and Vice, this would be a lot easier, a lot more fun. So I'm, it's I haven't had that appreciation that you have with it. So that's mm-hmm. I was interested to hear what you would say with this because I'm trying to figure out like when I'm going to be motivated enough, even though I already spent the money, uh, motivated enough to actually put that thing together. Yeah, for me, a lot of it is it's like fine detail stuff where I just really feel like. If I'm going to be kind of stooped over for quite a while, like say, for example, uh, to some degree doing a little pairing action on perhaps like in between the the dovetails or something or actually where I've been using it quite a bit is uh, once in a while. Once in a, I've been using it quite a bit once in a while. Uh, I've been using it quite <laughs> 67% a 67% of the time. I use it all the time. <laughs> um, often if I, if I need to like just touch up edges on – like when I was doing those boxes for Samantha's photo boxes, um, often when I just needed to kind of clean up the edges and stuff, it was nice just to have it right up there. And that vice, the – the, the chops for it, it kind of like gave me a little extra surface space where I felt like I had a little bit more control so I could kind of get in there and, and it just helped me clean things up a little bit more. I don't know. It's, it's I, awesome I can't even describe all the things that I use it for. Really I mean, I use it for everything. Thing. Well, see, my, my main dilemma with it is it seems like, okay, that's going to be heavy. So I'm going to have to pick that up <laughs> if I want to use it, right? Which is de- deterrent number one. So I think, all right, well, how about this? What if we were just talking about 360 uh, you know, 360 woodworking. I guess we can't use that anymore, can we? <laughs> workbenching. We'll call it workbenching. So yeah, 360 workbenching. <laughs> Ignore um, the fourth, the fourth <laughs> edge, and call it what 270 woodworking. Right there, you go. Uh, but if I could, maybe have some sort of permanent installation, so it's just kind of like a built-in twin screw moxen type vice situation. Bingo. Um, but with the permanent installation, I would imagine you would not. Gain, you would have to be somehow flush with a bench top, right? So then would you then lose the impact of having the extra height, which seems to be the primary benefit that you're talking about? Right. For sure, I would. I mean, that's that's my my whole thing is I, I like having that extra height for certain detail work. So, yeah. yeah, I couldn't see myself adding it on like a twin screw uh, vice or anything like that. So, Shannon, but- sell me on it. I don't understand. <laughs> well, Just do it. <laughs> Somebody. I have. I have a separate joinery bench that has the moxen integrated into it. Okay. So, um, Matt, the benefit that you're seeing with it being up higher like that, well, now imagine adding a bench top behind that vice, behind that vice chop at the same height. Um, it's fan-damn-tastic, frankly. It, I, I cut tenons at it. It's a dovetailing machine. I carve at that. I do basically anything with a block plane. But- I do just about all my layout there because it's up really high. Yeah, so your whole thing is higher now. So the <clears throat> yeah. the height is a key component to this that that I can't win on at this point. Well, and and I think if I had to set it up and take it down, I would feel differently. Yeah. Um there's no question. I was just thinking the same thing you said, Mark, um Matt, if you do move your bench out, permanently set it up on that other side. Well, it's funny you, you know? say that cuz that was one of the things I was thinking of earlier on in that conversation was like, "Oh, I could have that up there." 
that would be really neat. But I, one thing I, I, I noticed, like with Shannon, you and I do a lot of lot more uh, hand tool work in the sense of like hand cutting our dovetails and stuff like that. And Mark, uh, while you you've done it a few times, <laughs> uh, there there was this one time it was like 2010 ish. Right. <laughs> I think I was drinking too much and I was like, hey, here's a good idea. Let's not use power tools for this. Right. See, there you go. I, yeah. I don't think they did hand cut dovetails. Caution to the wind. <laughs> hand cut dovetails are too new for 2010. <laughs> right. Exactly. But that's, I mean, that's primarily where I use it is for any that's of the, the hand tool work that I'm doing. In fact, uh, another example I use it quite a bit for is um, when I'm using my spoke shave. Uh, yeah. I feel like I, I can definitely. I feel like I get more control at, because sculpting of the size in of general. The, what's that? Yes, sculpting yes. in general. And Mark, you love to sculpt stuff. I do. Um, yes, it, there you actually, go. If if you watch my video, I did a video on using rasps a while back. I don't know, sometime this summer, and I shaped a tabletop, and it's done entirely in my mocks and on my joinery bench. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. You know, imagine having your workpiece kind of up near elbow or shoulder height. And the leverage you get by having the rasp held kind of at chest height and being able to work it that way, um, you can really see what you're doing. You can get right up on it. It's it's fantastic. Nice. All right. It's well, it's something fabulous. I have to think about. And Matt, I was thinking, you know, since you do mention uh, pretty often that you're you're not that tall, maybe you just, t- you know, step off of the milk crate that you're standing <laughs> on to get to your workbench and that'll bring you down to the proper height. Yeah, could be. I never thought about that. I should. <laughs> no, I should have had Chris Schwartz design this bench for me. <laughs> I wish I had the art skill to draw a, a picture of Matt standing on a milk crate, on a milk crate. <laughs> working on his workbench. <laughs> Scott Johnson when we need it. Well, what nobody well, notices. You, know what? you could go to Goodwill and buy some cool platform shoes. Oh, there you there, go. Uh, well, I did make those uh, Stanley, uh, uh, those uh, Kiss uh, platform shoes years <laughs> oh, ago. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. <laughs> Classic. Uh, okay, very good. Well, and I, I'm going to have to rethink it and see if there's a way that I could uh, overcome my laziness and give a shot with that extra height. It sounds compelling. Yes, compelling. Compelling. All right, let's uh, go on to our email. And I've got kind of a twofer here. They're somewhat related. First one is from Lon. He says, I'm currently trying to decide between buying a Lee Nielsen or Lee Valley low angle jack plane. Getting my hands on them first to help me decide isn't really an option where I live. After this purchase, I expect a similar Lee Nielsen versus Lee Valley problem when I'm looking at the router plane and the shooting plane. I'm sure lots of your listeners would like to hear your thoughts on this subject. Please assume we already know that they're both fine products. We are only going to buy one of them and want to minimize the chance that we wish we had bought the other one. Okay, well, they're both fine products. Oh, he told me not to say that. <laughs> well, that actually is the that's the point though because mm-hmm. I I seriously doubt like if if you buy one of those and you're disappointed and wish you bought the other one, you're probably worried about the wrong things in woodworking because both of them are capable. Both of them have like, if we're just looking at the low angle block or the low angle jack plane, um, I am hard pressed to really see any practical difference between them. They look a little different. The wood of the, the tote, the handle is a little bit different. You know, the shit, the Veritas have a little bit more of a modern spin in their design, a little bit more of a classic design for Lee Nielsen. These are all things that are just visual. They both have various different angles at different, um, uh, I'm sorry, different blades that you could buy as accessories to really get the most out of that low angle jack. Ultimately, I mean, they're, they're practically the same tool. Like there might just be little tiny creature comfort things. Uh, and they're both 245 bucks. They're the exact same price. So it's in that particular case, I'm going to call it even between the two. It really doesn't matter. Just look at them 
And, you know, if those little creature comfort things that one has, maybe the other doesn't, see if any of those appeal to you. If not, you just can't go wrong uh, with those two options. Now, that's not across the board. There are some things where there are differences. And he brought up the router plane. I think that's a really good one. Um, I went with a Veritas router plane, even though most of the tools, when I have to pick between uh, Lee Valley or uh, uh, Lee Nielsen, I wind up going with the Lee Nielsen because that's kind of what I started with and it just feels good. I like the classic designs and it just appeals to me. So when I bought the router plane, did a little research, there were things about the Veritas router plane that I just liked better. Uh, They're actually quite different because Veritas made some improvements. That's kind of what they do. They put a modern spin on a lot of the classic tools, whereas your Lee Nielsen version kind of uh, adheres to a more classic design. Now, one of the things I think that's a real... Uh, a, a real convincing argument for the the Veritas router plane is the fact that they now offer a bunch of different smaller blades uh, that you can outfit that with. And that's always been um, a, an issue with, if you always have that really wide blade on there, you're limited in, in what you can do with it. So these narrow blades, um, quite a few sizes in metric and imperial, absolutely fantastic feature of Veritas. And I don't believe, at least from what I can see here, I don't believe that Lee Nielsen offers different size blades. So they have that inlay set now, too, for the Veritas plane. Okay, right. And I know they also make smaller router planes, which may then, I guess, may have a smaller blade on it, but I'd rather... Actually, that medium one they just came out with uses the same blade. Oh, does it? Okay. That's pretty cool. I've actually was first looked at that and I thought, nah, that's the last thing I need. And then I realized I could use all my same blades and I was, I'm sorely tempted yeah. And then you went from that's the last thing I need to uh, I need that. I must <laughs> have it. <laughs> no, and then it was it's too close to Christmas. I can't buy that for myself. Yeah, that's the smart choice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think the thing is it is going to come down to looking at those details. But again, even if you I, I guess if you ran into a situation where you go, darn it, I really I've, I'm always doing these really narrow grooves and I wish I had a blade that could fit in that. That's going to be something that you might uh, be disappointed by uh, putting uh, the cards in favor of the, the Veritas one. But in most cases, and see if you guys agree with me on this, in most cases when you're choosing between the two, it's it's six and one half dozen. You know, when you're looking at these two companies, they're so comparable in quality. I have a significant amount of time behind the tote of a Veritas bevel up jack and a Lee Nielsen bevel up jack. And same thing with smoothers, same thing with joiner planes. I've used them both a lot. There are definite differences in the the tote, like the angle of the tote, Mm -hmm. which has now changed now that Veritas has their whole modular system. So you can actually change the tote and get it the same as the Lee Nielsen one. Um, They're a little more upright, like vertical, right? Yeah. Compared to that Lee Nielsen. being said, doesn't make a bit of difference <laughs> <All right. laughs> to me, to me. I'm be the first person to say that it's a very personal thing. It matters on like how tall you are and what type of work you're doing and all that fun stuff. Doesn't make a bit of difference in my, the way I work. Mm-hmm. Um, I can switch back and forth between a Lee Nielsen and a Veritas and I won't really feel any different. I do like the set screw option that Veritas has. Um, it just kind of makes it a little bit more idiot proof. When you put the blade back in, the set screws kind of automatically align it for you. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't align it for you perfectly. You still have to tweak the lateral adjuster to get it parallel again. So it's not like it's, I suppose if you really crank the set screws down, but then it would defeat the purpose of slipping the blade in and out easily because you should have to loosen them to get the blade out. I do think that's a cool little feature that kind of gets me 99% of the way there. And then I do a little bit of tweaking. Um, and I, I do remember, you know, going through the setup process 
putting a blade back in used to prevent me from sharpening. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got it just the way I want it. I yeah. don't want to mess with it. So then you work with the blade a little bit longer and then end up, end up having to sharpen more because the blade's gotten duller. So the Veritas set screws, I do think, is a, is a kind of a cool deal that will make you be less hesitant about stopping, pulling the blade out, honing it, and sticking it back in. But... <laughs> I mean, really, truly. Well, on a bevel, other than that, on a bevel up plane, oh my gosh, the setup is so simple. I mean, yeah. if, if I can do it, it's really, really simple. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's not a deterrent for me to do it. It's very easy to line that sucker back up and, and get back to making shavings. Cool. All right. Uh, I do have a little add-on question since we're sort of in the ballpark of hand planes. This one's from Sean. He says, I need a hand plane. I've uh, read that all. I've read all three of your opinions individually. Shannon suggested a number four smoother, Matt a number five jack and a good block plane, and Mark suggested specialized planes. So now I am more confused than ever. Please help. Um, and just to clarify there, I don't know that those were all recommended in the same context. Uh, you know, so I don't exactly know what question those replies were in <laughs> relating to because they it sounds like it's just random stuff. But um, it's one of the things that makes wood talk magical. Yeah, <laughs> kind of is. Uh, he says, I'm primarily a power tool user and my plan is to use the plane on narrow pieces and edges that a power sander can't handle and to flatten large panels after glue ups. Eventually, it would be nice to use. Uh, planes for much of my finishing prep, but we have to crawl first. Can you guys recommend a good plane for these tasks? Uh, if one plane won't do, then what about a good combo? Um, looking at the Wood River line, blah, 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 a couple different things. But for me, this just goes back to the previous conversation because we talked about the low-angle jack plane. Uh, in this situation, power tool user, this is this. I think I have like a whole chapter on this in uh, the hybrid woodworking book about how important the low-angle jack plane can be uh, in the shop when you're just getting into hand planes. It's a great multitasker. Um, uh, that he says that's kind of what you know, Matt. You recommended a, a number five jack. Well, this is to me, it's number five jack and then some because it's bevel up designed. You can now do all the different angles, uh, and it's a very very versatile plane. For what he describes that he needs, to me, I think a low-angle jack is is probably just the ticket for him. Mm. Um, mm. So I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but I just well, want to add that, that on. The fact that he says he's looking at looking at it to do narrow pieces and some smoothing work and flatten large panels. There it's you like, go. Well, right. those are two entirely different things. So yeah. if you are expecting one plane, he did say it doesn't have to be one plane, but truly there is no other option in my mind. But a jack plane of some sort. If sure. you if you want it to be a smoother and, you know, essentially a joiner plane or a four plane or something like that, it's really the only solution. Mm-hmm. Um, he when he's saying I suggest a number four smoother, he's referring to the video I did for Good Woodworking Week, like four years ago, three okay. years ago, whatever. Um, I still stand by the fact that I think a number smoother is a great first plane, just because it's shorter. And it's easier to get working properly. Um, the longer the plane is, you know, the more futzy it can be. The flatter a board has to be. And for so many of the power tool woodworkers, I know that a lot of times I think they feel like they need to have a hand plane because everybody talks about hand planes. Well, you got to have it on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, yeah. um, but nine times out of 10, it ends up being like at that smoothing kind of finishing stage because they're using their their power tools for all the milling stuff. Um, and I think the number four is the perfect option there. That is what you use to go and get that finish ready surface or if nothing else, allow you to skip most of the sandpaper and start with 180 or 220. Mm-hmm. So um, do you act, do you need the extra length of a jack for that? Absolutely not. In fact, you'll find that the smoothing plane will get into the little hills and valleys and the board doesn't have to be nearly as flat right off the bat. Um, but 
when he says, I'm going to use it to flatten large panels after glue up, the number four is terrible for that. So, <laughs> so if you want a combo, get a number four and a bevel up jack. And frankly, if you continue to be a power tool user, I think you're done. Other than joinery planes, you're done. Right. You don't need any other. That's where all planes. the specialty planes come in. Yeah. Cool. All right, Matt, how about your question? All right. Well, this question came in from Baron, and he says, I'm building a twin-size bed using loose tenons that join the rails to the posts. I used my domino to make mortises that are two inches wide and are one inches deep on each side. My question is, should I drill and peg each side? With integral tenons, I would I draw, draw and bore the tenon, but with loose tenons, that doesn't seem possible. Will I gain anything with the pegs, or should I just trust the glue joint? My loose tenons are a tight fit. So as somebody who's built a few beds, I've built some bunk beds for my kids when they were younger, and somehow they didn't collapse on them, and I progressed with my woodworking. I then built a bed for my wife and I, which still to this day, I cringe a little when I get in, but uh, that's only because I'm expecting it to fall apart. Nothing to do with her laying next to me, although I'm sure she cringes plenty (laughs) too. And then I just recently finished up a, a, a bed for Aiden. So when it comes to the uh, connection of the rails to the posts, I, I started cringing as soon as I heard the thing about the loose tenons, especially since he says he has them one inch deep on each side. That to me just doesn't seem like enough uh, holding power for the amount of stress that's going to be going onto the bed. It doesn't matter what the kids are jumping on it or it's being moved around or something like that. It just I don't really like the idea of rails, uh, the, the bed rails being cemented in place basically by being glued in there so number one i i would myself would not trust just the glue joint i want something of a more mechanical fastener in there so ideally i would like to go with something like a uh, a bed bolt uh, one of those you know it can come in right from the front there's a couple of different ways you can hide it potentially another thing is and i use this on the bed that i have for my wife and i and we've had it for oh my gosh like not even a decade yet but it's getting there almost a decade and I used the type of hardware where it's mortised into place, so mortised at the end of the rail and mortised into the post, and then the male and female joint come together, and it holds it nice and tight, and I've had no issues with it whatsoever. Hmm. So I just really don't feel comfortable with using a loose tenon in this situation. And even if you chose to, say, peg it at uh, each end of the loose tenon, as what, that's what it sounds like to me you're describing doing Again, with it only being one inch deep on each end, it just seems like when you put that peg in place, it's potentially a little bit too close to the end of, say, the rail. And I just I start worrying about splitting. I start thinking about all these these things with with the uh, with the bed falling apart under those stress. So my opinion is that you should really maybe think more of some sort of mechanical fastener when it comes to doing this. And on top of it, the nice thing about it is if it's a mechanical fastener, uh, if you ever need to move that bed, you could take it apart. Whereas if you attempted to glue it, um, you would need a lot more uh, help getting it apart. You would need a saw. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or a sledgehammer <laughs> to get so, it through the door into the room. Or you just you sell it with the house. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering with the one inch depth, we don't know exactly what the structure is here, like what the the width and thickness of his posts are, but I would assume they could accommodate something more than an inch. I'm thinking maybe they're square posts of some sort. And right, maybe. if I mean if we the, are talking about a twin size here too, so everything's gonna be smaller. Sure, sure. And but I'm wondering with the one inch depth, is his limitation because he wanted to use the the domino 
which has a limited depth versus like the Domino Excel that can actually do larger joints. So I'm wondering yeah. if he if if he could go deeper, would he be able to? I can't even off the top of my head recall what the max depth of the Domino is, but it's probably not much more than an inch. Right. You well, know, yeah. And think about too. You've got rails coming in at ninety degrees to one another. So the deeper you make that mortise, the more you're removing from the post, the more you're weakening that post. Um, unless you can dramatically offset those, um, I don't think this is the type of thing where you want them to meet. You know how we sometimes miter tenons and have a meet and go in as deep as you can for a bed and the stress that a bed takes. I'm not sure that that's a good idea. Well, I think it depends on how close they are and how thick this post is. You right. Know? And if what there, you're if there's to do enough, in the bed. <laughs> if there's enough meat in there, uh, you know, maybe it would accommodate it. But a one inch depth just doesn't, even for a twin bed, just doesn't sound significant enough. It seems like there should be a little bit more depth there. Right now, well, here's the display thing. bed for dowels. I think that <laughs> would go. work out fine. But but yeah, for for most, even even with you know like like a five year old, if it's just like their first bed or something, uh, just the simple act of getting getting in and out of it, there's going to be a lot of stress on that joint. I just there's that part of me that uh, again is just the, the mechanical fastener route is where I keep seeing myself going. Um, and that's even like I talked with Jeff Miller years ago, who's made some just amazing beds out of his, uh, studio in, in Chicago and so amongst all the other amazing furniture that he builds. And that was one of those things I remember talking to him like, you know, so if I'm putting this together, what would you recommend? And he's like, why would you not use like bed posts or the bed bolts? And there was a few other things he recommended. And I'm like, well, number one, I don't know how to spell what you just said. <laughs> that limits me, but well, we talked about uh, earlier the kitchen helper that I'm building and how strong those joints are. Well, the the way the the pieces come together, it's all four quarter stock. So the side rail comes into or the front rails come into the side rails. You only have three quarters of an inch to work with. So the penetration depth of that joint is only about a half inch, maybe a little bit more. Um, so that's not a whole lot to work with. But uh, with the it's not a bed bolt, but essentially it's it's similar. It's a it's a piece of hardware uh, with that holding that there that suddenly became an incredibly strong joint in spite of there not being a whole lot of depth. And it's one that's repairable. It's one that is able to be knocked down to move this piece in the future. So, yeah, I think I think you're on the right track there, Matt. I think you should add some hardware to really beef it up a little bit. That repairable part is is key. The, the traditional bed frame had a very small tenon. If you look at like, well, I just built a pencil post bed, so this is fresh in my mind. But um, if you look at antique versions of four post or pencil post beds, the tenon's only about a half an inch long. The tenon is there primarily for registration to prevent racking. It's a beefy tenon. It's like an inch wide and, and like five inches long, but it's only a half inch deep. The bed bolt is what keeps it strong. Mm -hmm. So the, the tenon registers nicely. And what's really, really cool is beds loosen over time. There's a lot of stress when you come in and out of them and there's nothing worse than the squeaky bed. And what the bed bolt does is stop the squeak because it will loosen. Like I said, at the outset of this show, the chair I'm sitting in, it's gotten a little loose. Well, I can go in and tighten up the little Allen key in the back and it, it, it's not so loose anymore. And that's really what the whole bed bolt idea is about. Uh, for one reason, you need to knock down most beds because you get above a twin size and it's hard to get through the door unless you can knock it into its parts. But it will, that's the one thing you can count on is it will loosen because of the stress that goes onto those yeah, joints. Eventually. So having something that can tighten it up, gluing a bed, that really scares me. Yeah. Um, and, and Matt, you said Jeff Miller earlier. Jeff actually has a great article and probably requires a membership at Fine Woodworking. I don't 
I don't even know anymore. You know how it just kind of automatically logs you in. Oh, it's just, what... Today actually is my anniversary at Fine Woodworking as we're recording this episode. I know because they sent me an email going, oh, we're charging your credit card. Oh, by the way, happy <laughs> anniversary. Nice. <laughs> Jeff Miller wrote a great article on bed construction. Um, you know, it's a typical four or five page article and he covers the different types of construction techniques. And uh, just about every single one he lists has some sort of knockdown hardware in it. And, you know, if he's stuck, I'm thinking about this a little bit more. Maybe he can't do, for whatever reason, he can't do the knockdown. He can't add hardware. I think to answer his question, I'm in favor of adding a couple of pegs to those joints if if he has to glue it together. Because yeah. at some point, potentially, those pegs could be the only thing holding it together. Um, so I would not, you know, try to jam some quarter-inch pegs in there. I would probably go down to some maybe eighth-inch dowel stock, just a nice peg on each side, very carefully located, um, so it's sort of in the center between the shoulder and the end of the tenon, somewhere centered there, giving them enough room. And if it's only an eighth of an inch diameter, shouldn't be too big of a deal, but might be that one thing that holds that joint together if and when that glue decides to fail. Right. Don't you think he could draw bore it? I mean, you'd have to draw bore both sides since I, it's a loose tenon. Well, but you can would, also, I mean, here's the other thing with the, and this is a, a trick that I do all the time with the domino because it's, I find it easier to do, is you can glue one side in at a time. There's nothing, you don't need clamping pressure to glue a domino into one side of that joint. So once you right. do that, it's effectively kind of, like an integral yeah. tenon at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know how, if that's bad long term by putting that kind of a stress on the, on a glued joint like that. Um, but theoretically, I suppose you could certainly glue it into one side and then draw bore into the other. Yeah. Don't know how much that really buys you, but it's something you could do. Well, I mean, draw boring is what, you know, you, I look at chairs that are 300 years old and they're still rock solid because right. they were draw board. But they usually they had me sitting on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah. But they're, they're usually pulling on an integral tenon. So it's pulling on the core of that, the adjoining board. Whereas this is pulling on a tenon that's just in a glued mortise. I don't know if at some point, if that encourages the glue joint on the other side to weaken and break. But if you draw bar both sides of it, couldn't it be the same thing? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. I am going to say this discussion is at a draw now. (laughs) Uh Oh, I thank you. All right, who's next? Shannon, you're Uh, you're the only one left. It must be uh, you. Yeah, that's me. This is from Bob. um, And I'm going to right up front say, uh, if you're listening to this, pay attention because I am going to ask for your feedback, loyal listener. Bob says, I've had pretty bad luck so far getting old Stanleys off eBay and trying to refurbish them make a long story short, I've learned a blade upgrade. I use the Veritas blade cap iron combos are pretty much a must. Plus, oftentimes the blade that comes with the plane is either wrong or in really bad shape, requiring uh, quite a bit of time to flatten, etc. So my conclusion, and I'm asking for your opinion here, is instead of spending $50 on a plane, putting in the work and another $60 for a blade upgrade, just buy Wood River and be done with it. After obtaining 10 or 12 planes, three of them were basically junk. I've only gotten one I will keep. It's a Stanley record number four, the Veritas blade upgrade. For some reason, it just performs great. So I've listed every single plane I've bought on eBay and plan to take that money and buy Wood River number six. Ultimately, do you think plane refurbishing is worth it in light of the economy of the Wood River planes? So this is where people... I would love to hear for you. We have this whole section called kickback. I'd, I'd really love to hear some answers here because I, I started thinking about this and it occurred to me, I have not been in the plane market 
really in a while. Um, I've bought my share of planes off of eBay and I've had similar situations where they've been junk to the point where I just don't buy. I really don't buy tools on eBay much anymore. Um, I go to guys like Josh Clark at Hyperkitten or Jim Bodie at Bodie Toolworks. Um, the, the good, reputable dealers that know of what they talk about and they have good quality uh, tools that don't require a lot of refurbishing. I'm also incredibly picky about what I buy. If it's going to take a lot of work, I walk away because I just, I don't enjoy that type of work. So I, I think if you're relegated to only buying off of eBay, you know, you're going to end up with a bunch of boat anchors illustrated by the fact that Bob has already said he's going to take his planes that are junk, list them on eBay <laughs> in order to buy a Wood River plane. So you are part of the problem here, Bob. You're now taking your junk you don't want and listing it on eBay. And I, I say that jokingly because there are people out there who who really do enjoy the refurbishing thing. So for for those of us that aren't real keen on it, I have often said that I think starting with a new plane is a better idea. Um, there are a lot of people that don't truly understand how a plane should work and they get frustrated or they think these plane things are stupid, you know, and then they pick up a, a, a Veritas or a Lee Nielsen or even a Wood River and they go, oh my God, so this is what it's supposed to work like. So there is that kind of epiphanal moment of knowing what a plane actually should work like that's well-tuned. Um, you know, going back to Mark's question earlier, I think you have to pay close attention to the price difference between Wood River and Lee Valley. And in some instances, Lee Valley and Lee Nielsen, in some instances, the price difference is not that huge. Um, I do think there's some fit and finish on some of those other planes uh, over the Wood River that um, might make it worthwhile in the long run. But... You know, again, it, this is not going to be a Wood River versus whatever. It's it's what do you guys think? Is it actually worth it now to refurb a plane, um, especially because I like what he's saying here. I firmly believe that in order to really get it working well, you should get a, a new modern blade. Um, the thinner blades, they tend to vibrate too much. They add more trouble than it's worth. So getting an upgraded blade automatically is going to add 60 bucks. To the price. I don't know what Ron Hawk charges for his, but I think it's at least 50 bucks. So, and can you buy a decent plane for $50 on eBay anymore? So this is where I really want some feedback because I've been out of that market long enough. $50 seems cheap to me for a, a vintage plane uh, anymore. Uh, the competition's got so much. And if it's less than that, there's something wrong with it. So I would definitely, um, certainly Mark, Matt, if you guys have two cents on this. I'd love to hear it, but I really would love to hear from the audience that has been buying these more recently and what your experiences are. Do you refurbish or do you go and buy new? Me, I like to buy new. My experience you know, 10 years ago was pretty crappy and it's probably because of me, but ultimately I did not enjoy the process and I never went back for more. For yeah. myself, I know the I do have one uh, older number four, Stanley number four that I have. And the reason why it works as well as it does right now is because of the fact that I bought a whole bunch of crappy ones and I just cannibalized those to make this one. So I have like the Frankenstein, <laughs> Frankenstein version. Frankenstein plane, nice. <laughs> right. and, and that has actually worked for me. And I, I've mentioned that to people over the years that, you know, if this is your thing, if you're going out there and getting these and you keep coming up, you, you only spend a few bucks for something and you get something and, and you're like, what am I going to do with this? This is a piece of crap. Well, you know what? If a portion of it, especially if you have a solid body, something that's really good, and you can add these extra things, that's great. But uh, the the one thing for sure, though, is that blade. I, I never 
I, I always recommend that you go with the the aftermarket one because yes, yes. Yeah. Well, it is funny as I've gotten. Um, more accomplished in my skills, I have been gravitating back towards vintage tools. I have a lot more than I used to. And I think it's because I know what it's supposed to work like. And I know what, not so much what to look for, um, but what I, what I know that I want to deal with when it comes to refurbishing a plane, um, flattening a plane sole sucks. <laughs> I don't care what you do. It's terrible. Um, but I also know how flat does it really need to be? Um, and Veritas and Lee Nielsen, even Wood River are so much flatter than it actually has to be, you know, God bless them (laughs) for their, their precision. It's not necessary. Um, so I I can look at a plane and go, yeah, it's a little flat. I don't care. Um, cause I'm not going to flatten that thing. I just, it's, it's mind numbing work. Um, so. And most of the time you make it worse, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah, I find that if you uh, don't lock your <laughs> elbows, <laughs> you can make a nice banana sole. That's See, right. but compass planes have become real popular again. I'm seeing new <laughs> makers of them. So, Matt, you're just ahead of your time. Yeah, specialty you know, planes. Secretly, I did travel back in time and go, listen, we need to start cornering the market on compass planes. Get started now. <laughs> right. Nice. I, it is funny because now restoring of old tools for the historical aspect has become more interesting to me. But even then... I'm cherry picking and getting like really nice ones like the, the barns lathe I'm restoring right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, clean it up, move the dirt and slap a coat of finish on it. And that's what I'm doing, you know? Um, and it's cool that I've got this old plane, but in no, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time doing extra work, especially metal work. Cool. All right. Yeah. I'm interested to hear some of the kickback from that. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to support the show, if you like what you hear, if you think this is a good time to listen to three of us, uh, you know, blather on about woodworking and various things, you can help support the show continuing for, I don't know, maybe at least another year or two. I think yeah, we'll keep yeah. doing this. Yeah, um, sure. You can help us out a number of different ways. You can go to woodtalkshow.com, looking at left-hand column for our donation links. Uh, you could also get a t-shirt over at twwstore.com. And we are having a Thanksgiving weekend sale so uh, Black Friday through the weekend, we'll be having discounts. So just go to TWWstore.com and those Wood Talk shirts will be discounted with a coupon code. And uh, I think it's 25% off on Friday and then like 15 for the remainder of the weekend. So if you've been waiting to get a shirt, now is definitely the time because we do not have a lot of sales. Uh, you can also leave us a review in the iTunes store. Uh, just go to... What the heck is going on there, Shannon? <laughs> Are you, ta- are you riding on Alex's back around the yeah, show? Yeah, what are you doing to the fourth co-host over there? <laughs> Get off of Alex's back. All right, uh, go to the iTunes store, look us up, and click on ratings and reviews and give us that sweet five-star review, just like CMEL81 did. And uh, he says, I now live in Maryland, and road rage is an everyday occurrence. When I found the podcast, my drive to and from is so much better. I find myself taking the long way home just to hear the whole show. Thank You're you, guys. You're that guy driving in front of me going really slow now, aren't you? <laughs> That's what it is. He's like, <laughs> now I have road rage for you. He's in there going, wood talk. All right. Thank you guys for keeping up woodwork, keeping woodworking relevant and helping us closet woodworkers in the know, keeping us in the know. Yeah, I just screwed that all up. Thank you, CML81. <laughs> We appreciate that. And Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, or topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or 
previous episodes. You're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Sweet. All right. Now it's time for Shannon to uh, to ride Alex off into the sunset. Yeehaw! <laughs> it's like a herd of elephants running down the hall when someone comes home. Heather just came home and it's just like prancing right outside the door. Uh, nothing like a dog tap dancing on a hardwood floor. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See, See ya. ya. information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.